The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Thursday, the 31st of August. I'm Michael Bailey and today we're asking... Where is Barcelona youngster Ansu Fati heading to? The private call from Roberto De Zerbi pushed Ansu Fati to a sudden change of heart. Why are Chelsea signing one of Manchester City's rising stars? We saw to me in the Community Shield in the Super Cup that he, he can score a goal. What's changed to take Mateus Nunes to the brink of joining the Premier League champions? We've seen City's desperation to get this deal done. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. Here we are then, the final 48 hours of the summer transfer window for most of Europe's top leagues. It promises to be a busy period for several clubs and some players, especially those who have been linked with a possible move for several weeks. Firmly in that category is Spanish forward Ansu Fati. The surprising bit, perhaps, is his destination. Last night, it emerged that Brighton are close to agreeing a season loan for the 20-year-old who will travel to England today to complete the move. Ansu Fati has nine caps for Spain and won La Liga with Barca last season, scoring seven goals in 36 league matches. There will be no option or obligation in the loan deal for Brighton to make Ansu Fati's signing permanent. Paul Balus is the Athletics Barcelona correspondent. Paul, were you as surprised as we were that Brighton will be Ansu Fati's destination? Yes, I was surprised by Ansu Fati joining Brighton, although in recent days we were aware of a change of mind in Ansu Fati. Despite completing a decent precision with Barcelona, he was struggling to get minutes in La Liga, and now Ansu Fati had started to assume that a departure and a fresh new challenge elsewhere could actually be good for him. At the start of this transfer window, he was really keen on staying, but as we were saying, this has changed now. And with this scenario, the most likely option that was transpiring from his personal camp was Tottenham Hotspurs. And it actually made sense as an option. Uh, Tottenham is a club from the big six, a manager with, an, with new ideas and a proactive and possession-orientated style of play. But suddenly, last night, we are told from sources close to FC Barcelona that a private call from Roberto De Zerbi pushed Ansu Fati to a sudden change of heart. The manager underlined how important he could be for Brighton, while for Tottenham, Ansu Fati was only another option in a short list. So what sort of player are Brighton getting? Brighton are getting an immense source of talent in Ansu Fati, an attacking player who probably excelled or spent his best days at Barcelona as a left winger cutting inside. That's actually a bit tricky with Brighton's setup because they have Mitoma there, but we also can expect Ansu Fati to adapt to more central roles in attack. He's a player who needs to be close to the box, as his biggest talent is his goal instinct and the ability to be in the right place at the right time. He owns a superb technique, which also fits nicely to the Derby's style, and is very used to operate in tight spaces in attack. The downside on Ansu Fati right now are probably his recent physical and mental struggles. He did not have the best of the season last year, he didn't enjoy a lot of minutes and couldn't earn a regular spot in Xavi's lineup. This, combined with the pressure of being at Barcelona and inheriting Lionel Messi's number 10, ended up being too much. Another key factor were the multiple injuries and surgeries that he had to go through two years ago, which really had a bad impact on his development. 
Maybe he's lost the explosiveness and some of the spark that he had when he broke out. And when he finished second on the 2020 Golden Boy, just behind Erling Haaland. But now it's up to Brighton and Roberto De Zerbi to offer him the right platform to take that pressure off his chest and return to the best version of Ansu Fati. And Paul, how much does this move help Barcelona with their financial need to get players off their books? Ansu Fati had a significant salary, but not one of the biggest in the squad. And as much as you could think that this might be a sort of an unexpected solution for Barcelona finances, it's not as simple as that. As Barcelona are still above their salary limit, the one that La Liga has set for them, they will only be allowed to reinvest at most a 60% of Fatih's salary on new players, which doesn't make it easy to find a suitable replacement. It would have been a different story if his departure would have been a permanent signing with an important fee involved. However... Fatih's departure opens a bit more Barcelona's door to get Joao Felix signed on loan. It's not going to be an easy one, but the club will try to complete his signing with a former Chelsea player already desperate to join. However, don't expect Barcelona to spend big on a new signing now. The best they can aspire to right now, given the work that the club has been done, is to get Joao Felix as Fatih's replacement. Of the clubs set to be busy with transfer business before the window closes, Chelsea may well prove to be the leaders, both in terms of signings and departures. Yesterday, our own transfer guru, David Ornstein, revealed the West London club's interest in signing young Manchester City forward Cole Palmer. Meanwhile, heading out of Stamford Bridge could be winger Callum Hudson-Odoi. He is being pursued by Nottingham Forest. And defender Trevor Shalabar, who has been the subject of talks between Chelsea and Bayern Munich. Chelsea also had some good news last night after a 2-1 League Cup victory at home to League 2 AFC Wimbledon. Chelsea will now host Brighton in the third round. But the greater attention is on Chelsea's transfer plans. Simon Johnson covers the club for The Athletic and joins us from Stamford Bridge. Simon, let's deal with the possible exits first. How likely is it that Hudson-Odoi and Shalabar move on? And how much did Chelsea need it to happen? I'll deal with uh, Hudson Odoi first, as his uh, situation is more advanced. Uh, Nottingham Forest. He's been doing the rounds for a while. There's definitely been interest talks between the two clubs. Um, when I spoke on Friday, someone they were saying it's still complicated, but it's definitely moved on, and it should happen. Uh, a permanent deal should happen, and, and it's important for him, let alone Chelsea. He needs to move on to the next stage of his career. Chava Chalabo was here at Chelsea's game against AFC Wimbledon which shows that he's not on a plane to Munich as we speak to discuss players returns with Bayern. But there's definitely something in this. Bayern want him, uh, but they need to get this deal done quickly as a replacement for Pavard. In terms of do Chelsea need this to happen? Yes, financially. Obviously, it'll be pure profit, just like Hudson-Odoi on the books. But it's also good for him because he's, he's currently injured, but he'll struggle to get in the team anyway. So for both of them, perhaps... Reluctantly, certainly for Chalabar, they need to move on. And then there's Cole Palmer. What's the latest with that move and, and why are Chelsea pursuing that one? Well, as the Athletic reported earlier on, uh, on Wednesday and David Onstein's confirmed that a, a fee of £40 million plus around £5 million add-ons um, has been agreed with Manchester City. And it should happen. Uh, we completed on Thursdays due, due for a medical then. Why is it happening? Well... Chelsea wanted to sign another attacking player, someone that can play in one of the, the three positions, left, 10 or on the right. But is he is he the sort of finished article that, that many people thought that could bring loads of goals and so on? 
I'm not so sure, but of course there is a, a connection with Joe Shields, who, who's got a very important role at this club. You'll know him from Manchester City. And we saw, didn't we, in the Community Shield in the Super Cup that he, he can score a goal. So good young talent, but um, the question mark is how many minutes will he get when everyone's fit? You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. If Cole Palmer does complete that move to Chelsea, he may well pass Mateus Nunes on the way. Earlier in the week, we heard how the Wolverhampton Wanderers and Portugal midfielder had failed to report for training and asked to leave Wolves after the club had rejected Manchester City's £47 million bid. Well, a few days on and the two clubs have now verbally agreed to a £55 million fee, which is just shy of $70 million, although there is still plenty to be finalised before the move is completed. Midfielder Tommy Doyle is also set to join Wolves on loan from the Etihad before the window closes. Sam Lee covers Manchester City for the Athletic. Sam, what's happened since Monday for Nunez's transfer to move from an apparent stalemate to the brink of completion? I think we, we've seen City's desperation to get this deal done. The fact that Tommy Doyle is going on a loan with an obligation to buy for just five million, when if you think about the young players that City have sold this summer and indeed Cole Palmer is going to go for 40, 45 million, they make a lot of money on good youngsters and Tommy Doyle has got a lot of experience under his belt as well. So basically to let him go for five million shows just how keen City were to get it over the line. But obviously one of the things that David Ornstein has highlighted is that City, in terms of how it's going to be structured, City are going to pay a lot up front. That's going to be financed by a bank. The interest on that is going to be about £6 million and City have agreed to pay that. So never mind buyout clauses and agent fees and all this kind of stuff that you can now add on to transfer fees. We've now got the, the financing as well. So yeah, everyone was basically keen to get the deal done and now City have decided that they'll pay the the interest on the, the bank finance fees. And everyone's kind of happy, yeah. You mentioned the pursuit uh, of a midfielder for for Manchester City. They've gone through a few targets. I mean, with, with that background, some may assume that Nunes was a bit down their list of recruitment targets. Would that be fair? Yeah, it, it is fair. If you remember, it's a long time ago now, but when they were trying to sign Declan Rice at the start of the summer, obviously that didn't happen. And that was the Gundogan replacement. They were always going to bring in Matteo Kovacic, regardless of whether Gundogan was going to stay or not. Obviously he didn't, and they did bring him in, but they wanted to get another midfielder in. And then when Rice didn't happen, they kind of went away and they had to bide their time and look at their options for a bit, because obviously this was at a time when Mares was going as well. And they thought, well... Maybe we'll get a right winger and Bernardo Silva can play in the middle or maybe we'll do this and Bernardo Silva can play on the right and we'll get a midfielder in and all these kind of things. In the end, they looked at, well, they really wanted and indeed they agreed a deal for Lucas Pacatar, West Ham. And then obviously the betting stuff got leaked and there's an investigation about that as a result and the deal's off. So then middle of last week, they had a couple of names they were spinning and they had to decide, even so late in the transfer window, for a club that doesn't do business late, whether they were going to go for Eze at Crystal Palace as a more attacking option or whether they were going to go for Nunes as a as a deeper option, somebody you can play next to or instead of Rodri if Rodri needs a break. And in the end, they decided to go for Nunes. So obviously, it wasn't as if Eze was in front of him, but it's fair to say that Rice and Pakatar were. But like I say, they were pretty keen to get an extra midfielder in, especially because of that De Bruyne injury. He's obviously not the same kind of player as De Bruyne. That would have been more of the Pacatard deal. But they've seen somebody who's very versatile and yet yeah, they needed the bodies in and that's why they've kind of worked hard to, to get the deal done. 
And just while we've got you, Sam, you mentioned Cole Palmer leaving to join Chelsea. From a Manchester City perspective, what what is their view on making that decision? Well, I think there's quite a lot of surprise among the City fan base. I guess there's a bit of reticence as well because he's a young player and it was hoped that this season he would make a big contribution, especially with uh, Mahrez having gone. But it's no surprise now that he's going to be sold for £40 million plus £5 million in add-ons. But obviously, because he's a young player, an academy product, and somebody who's shown that they are a very good player, obviously won the under-21 Juros with England in the summer, and has already started, you know, scored in the Community Shield, scored in the Super Cup, suggested that he could do more this year. City fans aren't too happy about it, but I think City as a club, I think there's a reason he wasn't playing a lot last season. He didn't really kick on. He himself has wanted to go, because I don't think he thought he could get regular football at City. Whether we'll get at Chelsea, I don't know. But... They've obviously gone hot and heavy for him. He's been seduced by that and he'll go there. And I don't think for City inside the club, it's something they'll regret. I think they'll be very happy with the deal they've done. In last night's Champions League qualifiers, it was Royal Antwerp, FC Copenhagen and PSV Eindhoven who booked their place in this season's group stages. The draw for which takes place later today. Coverage of that draw starts in the UK on TNT Sports 1 from 4.45pm and if you're in the US, you can watch from 12pm Eastern on UEFA TV. As for your television offering today, it's a European menu with a Scottish flavour in the UK. Hearts travel to Greece where they will face Pauk, looking to overturn a 2-1 deficit in the second leg of their Europa Conference League qualifying playoff. That kicks off at 6.30pm UK time, live on Viaplay. Then in the qualifying playoffs for the Europa League, Aberdeen host Swedish side Hecken with the sides tied 2-2 after the first leg. That one kicks off at 7.45pm in the UK on BBC Sport. In the US, the Europa Conference League options are Eintracht Frankfurt hosting Levski Sofia in their qualifying playoff. It's 1-1 after the first leg. The second kicks off at 2.30pm Eastern Time on ESPN+. Or you can watch Club Brugge face Osasuna also at 2.30pm Eastern on Paramount+. Plus. Brugge lead that one 2-1 after the first leg. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producers were Abby Patterson and Michael Zimmerman. If you've just enjoyed your first experience of the Daily Football Briefing, then make sure you follow us on your podcast app. And please leave a review while you're there. Adam Leventhal will be with you when we return tomorrow. Until then, enjoy your day. The Athletic.